0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at HopeChurchOnline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. My, 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 my. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. Mama. My, my. my Lord, my lord, my lord. Sometimes that's (laughs) all that's all you can say, (laughs) man, God is good indeed, amen. I would be remiss if I did not begin by offering my sincerest gratitude and admiration for your pastor. i never imagined I might meet a diehard Alabama fan who's pastoring a church in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, that just goes to show you the Lord can work in any place in space, amen? <laughs> but brother, I am so honored that you would look a young brother in the face and believe in him, that you would give me the trust and instill that trust in me to address your flock, and that you would be a pastor to me Uh, just by being who you are. And so, brother, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. I'm also incredibly grateful for my bride who is here with me, Courtney. And um, man, we have longed to be with you. And uh, word of your faithfulness, much like the Thessalonians, in Thessalonians chapter one, word of their faithfulness had spread so far and wide that Paul, everywhere he went, it felt like he was hearing about them. And I feel like even where we are in Memphis, Tennessee, word of your faithfulness has reached our ears. And I'm just so grateful to God for what he's doing in this body, in this fellowship, uh, that your faithfulness has encouraged me and spurred me on to faithfulness and holiness. So I want to thank you for that. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you meet me in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9? I hope over the next 30 minutes to do a couple of things. I want us to take a look at a very common narrative, a narrative that we should know, but maybe a narrative we've not heard preached. I want to take a look at what it tells us about Jesus and then how then that compels us to pray. I want us to take a look at Jesus, not just being hearers of the word only and so deceiving ourselves, but to be hearers of God's word and then doers of it primarily through prayer. We're going to be in Mark chapter nine. We're going to begin in verse two and read through verse 28. Mark chapter nine, verses two through 28. When you get there, say, "Oh, oh, yeah. If you need a minute, say, hold up, brother. So, so, so you need a minute or what? <laughs> we good? Let's ride. Mark chapter nine verse two reads, and after six days Jesus took with him Peter James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant intensely white and no one on earth could bleach them and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed him, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but only Jesus And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does first come to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they please, as it is written of him, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I want to preach a sermon tonight entitled From Transfiguration to Supplication. From Transfiguration to Supplication. And before considering this word, we should pray. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, ancient of days, you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And right now we have the opportunity to hear from you. So would you come? Would you move in power, spirit of God? You are the hand that penned the words on these pages. Would you be our guide and our interpreter this evening? Jesus, would you be lifted up? Would the Father be glorified, would your church be edified, and would your word cause the enemy to be horrified? We pray and ask these things in the name of Christ and for his sake, amen. 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 At this very moment, whether you know it or not, all of us are being shaped. We're being shaped and we're being formed to think and to act. All day long, there are silent forces acting upon us that shape us, that mold us, and conform us into an image. The things that we listen to, the things that we watch, the food that we eat, all of it is shaping and conforming us. When I was a kid, I used to love watching the X-Men, and everybody was a Wolverine fan, but I was down. I like Gambit, and I like... Amen. And, <laughs> and I, and I was down with Beast. I love, I love the Beast, man. And I love the Juggernaut, but one of the characters on the show I always found interesting was the character Raven, but with, with also the alias Mystique. With one look, Mystique could look at someone and she not only could look like them, altering her appearance to become in the likeness of another but she also absorbed their personality. She also absorbed their history. She also absorbed their tendencies. She absorbed all of their little quirks. She, in short, became them. What it means to be a Christian is to be like Jesus, a tiny Christ, which means that the aim of the Christian life is to become like Jesus. Now, that sounds real easy. Start walking out a little bit and you realize it's really difficult. But one of the ways in which we are conformed and we're shaped into followers of Christ is through prayer. One of the main ways we become like Jesus is through prayer. Soren Kierkegaard, who's a famous Danish philosopher, speaks of prayer in this way. He says, prayer does not change God, but it p- changes him who prays. Now, I like that. Now, I suspect if you're here tonight, one of the reasons that you come to church is because you want to change. One of the reasons we come to church is we love the people and, hey, listen, I love this worship, boy. I could come kick it with y'all every single week. <laughs> uh, but there's a service opportunities. Yeah, that's great. But at our core, we really want to change. We come to church because we don't want to be the same person we were 10 years ago. Uh, If we're honest, we don't want to be the same person we were yesterday. So we show up to the house of God and we go through this spiritual exercises together in hopes that we might change. Uh, But change doesn't happen in a microwave. It happens in the crock pot. Now, I'm, I'm trying to understand my audience a little bit, but I just need y'all to go with this country boy somewhere real quick. <laughs> I, I, I wonder if you've ever been in a kitchen making greens. And, and after you've cut your greens up, you've thrown them in the pot and you've seasoned them a little bit, you've got to let them steep. If you want to cook... Okay, greens, you leave them on there for about an hour and a half. If you want to cook decent greens, then cook them for about two and a half hours. But if you want to cook some green greens, you need about four or five hours for them things to get in there and cook. To be conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus is a slow process. But one of our main instruments to do that is by prayer. So how do we increase in prayer to the point where it sparks internal revival inside of us? In short, how do we become like Jesus? I've got two points for us this evening, two points, and that's it. And the first thing we must do in order to become like Christ is we must behold Uh, The narrative here in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8, compels us first and foremost to behold. To behold means to look. To look means to gaze upon, to fix all your attention upon, to take it all in. To look and to behold is to focus so intently on this one thing that you forget everything else. Jesus is transfigured, sloughing temporarily off his earthly body and being revealed in his heavenly glorified state there before Peter, James, and John. And there, in his glorified state, the first thing that this state compels us to do is to behold, to see, to truly see the power of Christ, to truly see the God-man, and to truly see that this is the Son of God. Now, there's a few superlatives in here that we got to look at in order to fully understand what God is doing through this narrative. The first thing that we have to see is that this Jesus is transcendent. You immediately realize that he is high and lofty and lifted up, that he is completely different from you. If you you read this in verse 3, you see that his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach him. Grandmama can't bleach clothes this white. He was transcendent. This person, this man, is divergent from human frailty. He is the resplendent God-man. He is not like you. It reminds me of another narrative in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah has a vision of Yahweh. And, and he says, in the year the king Uzziah died, there in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple and around him flew seraphim each had 6 wings two to fly with two to cover their face and two to cover their feet and they cried back and forth to one another and, and the uh, saying holy 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 is the lord god of hosts the entire earth is full of his glory and the foundations and the threshold shook and the temple filled with smoke and isaiah says woe is me Now, sometimes I need to take the biblical language and translate it into something I can understand. When Isaiah says, woe is me, what he is saying is, I'm finna die. (laughs) Finna. F-I-N-N-A. I'm finna die. But the picture he gets is of Yahweh himself glorified. And it is God himself seated in his throne in a way that is so breathtakingly awesome that to be in the presence of this God, Isaiah thinks he's going to die. That is the Jesus here. He is transcendent. This Christ This Christ, let's not get it twisted. This is not the choir robe wearing blonde haired, blue eyed hippie who skips through fields picking lilies with his friends. That's not him. In the words of Dr. Timothy George, he says this about Jesus, that he is neither a God to be trifled with nor approached in a casual flippant manner. Nor sidled up to as one might fraternize with a chum at a football game. For this God is holy, and holiness demands a response of reverence, awe, and wonder. This Jesus is not like us, but this Jesus is also arrayed in splendor. He is the picture of perfection. He is a paragon of purity. He is dazzling without stain or error. He is perfect. Friends, this Jesus is not like you. This Jesus is also majestic. He's dazzling white, he's majestic, he is beautiful. Uh, You might say he is fine. This is the type of impressive beauty that takes your breath away. This is the Sistine Chapel in Rome. This is seeing a whale breaching in the Pacific Ocean, a surreal beauty, so gorgeous you can't believe you're seeing it. He is majestic beyond thought and he is glorious. To be glorious means that he is noteworthy beyond imagination. He is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. He is glorious. And and, and this really reminds me. You see, what Jesus does for Peter, James, and John here is he allows them to see himself in a glorified state. He allows them to see his glory in part. And it reminds me of that one time in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, when Moses asks the most audacious question in all of the Bible, he asks God to his face, God, show me your glory. But he doesn't just say, God, show me your glory. He says, I want to see the real you. And God replies in the next verse, he says, nah, bro, I can't do that because if I were to do that, you would die. That's in the Hebrew. (laughs) But God says, I won't show you my glory, but I'll pass my goodness by you. What Jesus allows for them to, do, to see is a glory that even Moses didn't get a chance to see, which is the Son of Man, highly lifted up. He is glorious. He is worthy of honor, and he allows their faith for a moment to be sight. Friends, we must gaze upon this Christ. And when we gaze upon this Christ in the scriptures and through prayer, we begin to look like him. And the main way we do that is prayer. Earlier when Pastor Vance was introducing Courtney and I, uh, he mentioned that we had two children. Uh, I realized uh, in half an hour ago that my bio's not updated because we actually have three children now. <laughs> and uh, uh, our youngest son, his name is Boss. Um, and back in May, he was a month early and we had an unplanned, unassisted home birth, okay? Um, <laughs> When he was born, he was not breathing. So I could not get him to breathe. I'm, I'm shaking him. I'm rubbing him. I'm suctioning uh, with the little bulbous thing. It's got a proper name, but it's a little bulbous thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And I'm trying to get him to breathe. I can't get him to breathe. Courtney, she's cool. as the other side of the pillow. She's over there. You know, she's fine. Me, I'm freaking out. Well, the ambulance and the paramedics, they come and they take my son and they take Courtney to the hospital. And when he walks out of the house, I don't know if he's alive or if he's dead. And I'm fully prepared, I'm fully prepared to pray the prayer that David has to pray after his son dies, to pray the prayer after Job loses everything he knows, maybe even praying the prayer of Abraham, who reasoned that God could raise his son back from the dead. I was fully prepared to say goodbye to my son, but still somehow find a way to praise God. Uh, A couple hours later, we find out, I find out that he's breathing, he's fine. Um, he is, uh, almost 30 pounds and he's eight months old. So like he eats good, <laughs> but, but I, but I'd say that to say sometimes God allows us to go through really difficult circumstances to get our attention in ways we wouldn't normally be able to have our attention gotten. I had to be shocked in a way to be able to do this very thing that God is calling us to do. I want you to know that everything about the transfiguration is passive. The transfiguration happens to Jesus. Jesus is not the actor in this narrative. This is happening to him by God the Father. So God the Father is the one who is transfiguring Christ, and he has a message for all of us to hear, and that is found in verse 5. In verse 5, he says, Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. Peter thinks that the end of the age is coming, that God is coming to restore and sit on the earth as a ruler. He thinks that day is today. In verse 6, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And then in verse 7, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is the one paramount imperative we must Heed, listen to him. You see him, he's my son, listen to him. Now I want you to look at one quick thing. It says, listen to him, right? Peter says in verse five, he says, do you want us to make tents? Here's the resplendent Christ. Peter's talking about making tents. In verse six, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Friends, sometimes we talk to God too much, we just need to shut our mouth and listen. Sometimes we talk too much. We just need to sit and listen to him. All of the transfiguration of Christ is pointing to the exaltation of Jesus so that we might listen to him. And if verse 2 through 13 shows us the transcendent God-man, verses 14 through 29 show us an imminent Savior We first must behold, the second thing is we must believe. We get next, this picture of a man who is desperate. There's no healthcare in the ancient Near East. So this man comes running, trying to find Jesus. Uh, The doctors can't heal him, the medicine man can't heal him, the town fool can't heal him. But he's heard about this man named Jesus and he goes to inquire about him, but he doesn't find Jesus, he finds those who follow Jesus. He expects those who follow Jesus to carry the same ministry that Jesus does, only to find that those who are following Jesus are more interested in their position for their own gain rather than the glory of Christ himself. And so he goes to Jesus. Jesus comes down off the mountain. Hey, what's happening? What's going on? Uh, Well, I asked them to cast this demon out, but they were not able And I want you to look at Jesus's words in verse 19. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? This gives us a clue into their sin. It gives us a clue that they were trying to do this either out of haste or personal gain as opposed to trying to aid this man out of faith for the glory of God. The disciples couldn't do it. And so Jesus comes to him, and he asks the diagnostic questions that a doctor and a good physician might ask. How old is this boy? Does he have a medical history? Does he have any pre-medical conditions? How long has this been going on? What are his symptoms? And the father's going through, he's filling out the 13 pages of prerequisite information before (laughs) you can get into the door for the doctor. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And Jesus is asking him all of these diagnostic questions. And the father in his desperation says, look with, with me in verse 20, verse 21. He says, how long has this been happening to him from childhood? It's often cast him in the fire and the water to destroy him. And here it is. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us if you can do anything i love this because if we're honest we sometimes don't really believe that god can or he's interested in answering our prayers I love this because this is so, this is like really real. This man is essentially saying, uh, Jesus, I know you've got a busy schedule and I don't want to bother you, but this is really important to me, and I would understand if you can't, but if you can. But this father does not understand that this is the God man himself. The one in whom all of creation was created by him and through him and for him. The one whom all things were made and fashioned for his goodness. The the one in which, let me put it this way. When God creates all of the universe, he does so by an immaterial presence that becomes a material reality, namely his word. God speaks and all of creation erupts from his vocal cords, hastens to its appointed place, and then sends an instant message back to God and says, I got here on time. I just wanted you to know. All of this creation continues to be sustained by the same thing, namely God's Word. That's Hebrews 1. That's Hebrews 1. That God upholds all things by the power of his Word. And who is Christ? He is, according to John chapter 1, the Word of God. So this man is literally talking to the power of life, questioning whether if the power of life can do something. I feel that because I'm so prone to forget. Yeah. How many times I've proved him or and or, and yet I still doubt. So Jesus is right to answer this man, if I can. This is that moment when, uh, you'll have to excuse me culturally for a moment. This is that moment where Jesus looked at this man and he's like, who you think you talking to? <laughs> <laughs> then Jesus meets him in his doubt and his uncertainty. And he says to him, he says, all things are possible to those who believe. Jesus is, he, he's, he's trying to get him to see something. He's trying to take him to see something. But here's this man. He's desperate. He's exhausted all of his options. He didn't have any other choice. And he hears Jesus say, you need to believe. You need to believe. And what does he say? If I can paraphrase what he says, this is what he says. He says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Do you feel this? Like, I do believe, but there's a piece of me that's not sure if you'll actually do it. I do believe, but there's a piece of me that thinks that maybe, maybe you might not come to my aid. I I do believe, but help my unbelief. Uh, Now, there's a point here that's really interesting because this man, I think, becomes a Christian somewhere between verses 23 and 24. (laughs) I, I, I think there's a conversion here. And it's when he's willing to be honest and to give up the illusion he's got it all together and throw all of his cares on Jesus and have faith in Christ. That is what happens here in this moment. Prayer is not us praying as if we are ourselves holding ourselves up. Prayer is laying a petition at the feet of Christ and then turning around and walking away knowing that whatever God chooses to do with that word is a good for our good and his glory. And the word of this father, I believe, help my unbelief, helps us to see that this man has about this much faith and that is enough. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Uh, And what he does is he says, Jesus, I believe about this much. I need you to fill the gap of the rest of the things that I lack. And that is where Jesus is proud and gracious and happy to meet us in our lack. I I like that this father yields his insufficiency to the all true sufficiency of Jesus. If the first 12 verses of chapter 9 show us that, God is, uh, that Christ is completely unlike us, then verses 14 through 29 show us that Jesus is deeply imminent. He is deeply personal. He cares about you in your time of need. And this is a picture of God who possesses the power to transform. Yes. The gospel is such a powerful weapon. Because even death itself will not prevail against the message of the gospel. I I like the fact that Jesus, in his resurrection, looks at sin, death, hell, and the grave in the face and says, Baby, you couldn't touch me if we were in a phone booth. I like the fact that, in the words of Dre Murray, they raided the tomb like Angelina Jolie, but all they found was some dirty clothes and a white tee. I like that the gospel message is one that promises that a little bit of faith, a teeny weeny, itty bitty little bit of faith, is enough for Christ to show up in our lack. Friends, maybe you are praying, and maybe you are at a place in your life where you may not believe that, where you don't feel like you can actually pray, like your prayers are insufficient or your prayers don't matter. I was studying for this sermon, and I heard about a story of a young man who moved from Chicago to LA pursuing a music career. And he was pursuing a music career, and his dad is bankrolling. Uh, much of this and he gets out to LA and he's playing in a band and he's running out of money and he's calling back home for a loan and he runs out of money and he's calling back home for a loan and then his dog gets hit by a car and he's got to save the dog so he takes the dog to a veterinarian and the vet fixes the dog back up and now he's looking at a massive veterinarian bill that he can't pay so he calls his dad and he says dad maybe I should just give it up he says dad maybe I should just give it up and come home And he said that day his father looked at him and he said, no, no, don't come home, keep fighting, don't stop believing. And he would go on to write those words in the back of a journal and he would leave his band at the time called The Babies and a couple months later join a band called Journey. (laughs) And they were writing the album Escape and they got to the very end and they needed a song just to throw away, just one more song to add to the album. He flips to the back of his notebook and he reads the words, don't stop believing. The rest, they say, is history. I, I want you to know that you may be fall, you may have fallen on hard times, and you may be doubting God's care for you. You may be doubting his concern for you. You may be wondering if he cares, and if so, how much. I want you to know that don't stop believing. Uh, the, one of the reasons that the disciples could not cast these demons out of this boy was, one, because they lacked the faith necessary for it. But this kind can only come out by prayer, meaning that some things only God can do. Yes. Do you feel that? Yes. Some things only God can do. So we got to keep on Believing Now, I like when Jesus heals this man's son, and he heals the man's son. He calls the demon out, and then the son lays down on the ground, and everybody gets around. It's like, oh, man, he's dead. Uh, oh, man, he's dead. Here's Jesus again, uh, making a mess of stuff. But what they don't know is that Jesus loves the, a good comeback story. <laughs> I I love that Jesus loves a good comeback story because he reaches down and he lifts this man back up. This father could have been tempted to despair, and yet his declaration for us this evening is, don't stop believing, because I know of another man who was down for the count, and it looked like he might stay down. Gardner C. Taylor, that great Baptist preacher, said that Jesus became time-trapped, He became death eligible, pain capable, killable for you and for me. And yet, it was in his resurrection where the transcendence of his power comes to full display. I I don't know where you are, but don't stop believing. You might have a wayward child here who is not following the Lord, and it may feel like your prayers aren't working. I want you to behold the transcendent Christ and then believe that the impossible is in his wheelhouse. Don't stop believing. You may have a coworker who doesn't know Jesus, and you've been working on them for a long time, and they seem real far away from God. I want you to know: keep praying. Don't give up. Don't stop believing. You might be here this evening thinking, "I just need to hear a word from the Lord." I want you to know: don't quit praying. Don't stop praying. Continue to press in. Behold the bigness of God. Behold and believe in who He is. Don't stop believing. Because it is in times of doubt that we must look upon the transcendent Christ and behold his power and his majesty. So in Awaken, we're here because many of us want to change. How do we change? We behold the Christ and believe. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word, I thank you that it doesn't return unto you void. And Father, I pray that even now that as it's working in and among and through us, Spirit of God, would you continue that work now as we respond to your word in song and in prayer, would you call us to a greater vision of you and would we become what we behold. Jesus, maybe even right now there's somebody who doesn't know you. I pray that you would call them to yourself in this moment. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Powerful word from the Lord that we've heard tonight. But to be honest with you, we didn't just come here to hear a sermon. We came to meet with the living God. Now you've heard from the Lord. You've heard God speak through his word. Now's an opportunity to respond. Just a moment. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship. And it's it's a song for us to sing in response to what we've heard God say to us this evening. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe a friend invited you to come. Maybe like somebody I met this morning that said they came to our church for the very first time. They'd never been to a church before in their life. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you walked in here tonight just like Jason began thinking, man, I need to change. I need something to happen in my life. I need something new. I need a new start. The good news of the Bible. The whole story of the Bible is that God loves you. And He loves you so much that even though, just like I did, you have sinned against God, we've all rejected God's way. We've all turned from Him. He loved you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus. This man that Jason described from this story, this God in the flesh, the one who created everything that entered the creation that He created, that God, came into the world took all of your sin and my sin on himself and on the cross Jesus died for us he paid the debt that we owed that we could not pay but guess what he did not stay dead he rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice so that now you and I can put our faith and trust in Christ and be born Again, What we cannot do ourselves, He can do by coming to live inside of us. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian in just a moment, we're going to have pastors that are going to join me here along the front. When we stand to sing this song, if you don't know Jesus tonight, if you don't know what it means to be forgiven, you can come to one of these pastors who's coming here to the stage right now, and you can just say to them simply, I need Jesus. That's all you got to say. And if you forget that, don't worry about it. Just come and stand here. We'll know why you're here. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you tonight how you can meet the God that created you, the God who loves you. You can experience His forgiveness and you can leave here a child of God and you can trust that He's going to take the broken pieces of your life and begin to put them back together to build a beautiful picture for His glory. Or maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and you heard Jason talk about it. Maybe your marriage... Is at the end. Maybe you got a child that's far from God. Maybe there's something physical going on in your body and you just need God to do what only God can do his healing touch. And maybe, just maybe, on the inside, you've got that same question that that guy in the text had. I'm not sure he can. Tonight, we're going to take these steps and just open them up like an old-fashioned altar. And I'm going to invite you, if you sense the stirring of the Lord, just to come and get in this altar and take that little bit of faith that you've got and just throw it at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And let me tell you what His Word says. He can take faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed, and He can move a mountain. Did you know that you can take a mustard seed and you can literally lay it on your tongue? It's so small and you would not even know that it was there. It's not about the size of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. It's whom are you putting your faith in. And tonight we've been invited through the word to put our faith in a great, awesome God who loves us. You can come, one of our pastors, if you want to, you can come pray. We'd be honored to pray with you and for you about a specific need. As you feel led tonight, the altars are open, our pastors are here. Father, in this moment, we invite you to move as only you can. God, may your spirit move in power among us. Lord, I pray for anyone who's here tonight who doesn't know Jesus, who maybe thinks their life is a throwaway, that they would know tonight, God, that you have a purpose for them, that you love them, and you want to change them from the inside out. Lord, I pray for those believers tonight who are sitting on the sidelines thinking, God can't do this. Lord, you can. We know you can. And we trust you to do it tonight. God, move among us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.